This is Coach Lee, and you're listening to The Door Report. At Vanderbilt, it's Tim Corbin in the Vandy Boys, Jerry Stackhouse on the hardwood, and Clark Lee on the gridiron. Nashville, it's time to sit back, relax, grab a cold one, and enjoy the show. The Music City is our state, and West End is where we rock. You're listening to The Door Report, the premier Vanderbilt podcast for fans who believe black and gold. Commodore Nation. Anchor down. No strings till the hank comes out. Make all the drunk girls scream and shout. We love it, we hate it. We're all just trying to make it in this crazy town. Welcome into the door report. It is episode 212 on a Monday night, March the 20th. A couple nights before Vanderbilt and UAB at Memorial Gym for one final time. We will uh, preview that. We'll give a little tease to someone's hype speech. Not sure who it'll be, but we'll, we'll stay tuned for that. But uh, we are powered by Halako Finewood Floors, family owned and operated for more than two decades. Halako Finewood Floors is Nashville and Middle Tennessee's choice for premium quality hardwood floors. Since 1995, Jimmy Halako and his army of employees have embodied the approach of taking pride in one's craft and providing superior customer service. Growing from a one-man shop to a team of 23 professionals who share the founder's passion for quality craftsmanship and customer satisfaction. If you're interested in contacting them, you can find their headquarters at 2505 Winford Avenue in Berry Hill. Or give them a call at 615-356-0303 or log on to alacofinewoodfloors.com. Gentlemen, Will Byram, Trevor Hoolan, all present. And we've got a lot to get to. We've got a Vandy Boys sweep. To recap of the reigning national champs, Ole Miss Rebels. It was a fun weekend uh, over there at the Hawk. Basketball team beats Michigan 66-65 in the NIT. It was Jerry Stackhouse over Jawan Howard. We'll talk about Stackhouse throwing the uh, the full court trap press that, that Jawan Howard and the Wolverines just could not solve. We'll get to some fan comments and questions. And we'll talk about UAB coming up at Memorial on Wednesday night. Whiteout. So, guys, we got a lot to get to. Well, I, I don't. I know you weren't at the game Saturday, 11 a.m. tip. I was surprised by the crowd, but I'm happy to hear you and your dad are headed to the game Wednesday, as I hope and I think most Vanderbilt fans will be. Yeah, I know you and Trevor Billy were both at the game, so I get to have a little bit different perspective. So I, I actually game. wasn't at the Michigan. Oh, game. you weren't. Okay, no, so I, I was getting yeah. shade thrown at me by people because I was publicly known that I wasn't at the game. <laughs> but I will be there uh, against UAB for the final, the final game in Memorial this season. But the crowd on TV looked great. I, I don't know what the final attendance numbers were. I think they were eight or nine thousand. A little over eight hundred. Eight thousand, not eight hundred. Yeah, officially for the the Michigan game. But on TV, there have been crowds that have been thirteen thousand, twelve thousand that did not look that good on television. Yeah. Because of that eight, nine thousand, Trevor, you'll have more information on this because you were actually inside of Memorial. You were inside of Memorial in two L this time around, Trevor, is that right? Oh, two L, dude, just just yeah, with my home. people. With the but, goons. Yeah. But and you so you can elaborate on this from TV. 
it seemed like most of those fans were Vanderbilt fans that made up that eight to 9,000. And, and there were some Michigan fans. I mean, obviously there were Michigan fans there. It's a large program. You could hear them a little bit on TV, but it seemed like a majority of the noise being made inside of Memorial gym was from fans in black and gold, not blue and maize or whatever the hell the Michigan's colors are. So yeah, Yeah, I got it right actually. Wow. Look at that. Uh, But (laughs) like the Auburn game, I think the that was a sellout or close it's to it. It's a different it. story. Yeah, exactly. That was a great environment as well, but in different ways. So there's yeah, almost this, something this, a little bit impressive about what I yeah, was able to see on TV, this, which is a Vanderbilt environment that's it's rocking. A, it's a great point, Will, and I don't think we talk about it enough. And and I do want to get to you, Trevor. I know you were there, so you'll have a great perspective of it. But Will hits on something will, that this will be a great dog days discussion of. Vanderbilt dominating home crowds and because it's it's been rare I mean let, let's face it that's a rare occurrence at Vanderbilt but when it does happen like Will said it's something special that okay is, this program's going somewhere and there's excitement there's buzz there's I mean so many crowd shots of of young kids too like you know getting excited so that's what that's what we need Trevor that's that's what Vanderbilt needs and it feels like they're they're getting it yeah absolutely man shout out to the fans um, yeah, I was there on Saturday. Um, I normally, I, I'm known to get to sporting events very early. This one, I actually didn't get to the basketball game in, in my seat till like right before tip off because traffic on West end turning onto 25th Avenue, Perry Wallace, uh, was a nightmare. So I actually mm-hmm. had to go around to come back the back end and then walk a little ways to get to the gym. So I got there a lot later than I normally like to. Um, the crowd was a little bit late arriving, but I'm going to chalk that up to the fact that it was 11 AM and that West end was legitimately a nightmare, at least like close to the ball game. Um, but the crowd was awesome, man. And like you guys said, I totally agree, man. Shout out to the fans. Students were on spring break, but I don't think you would have noticed. Wouldn't would have noticed, yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and and there were a lot of fans that, or um students that were actually in the crowd who I'm guessing weren't on or, or were on spring break but just couldn't travel, whether it be they're actually from the middle Tennessee area is just too far out to make a, a week of travel. But yo, shout out to those guys. Like two L was two L was legitimately jam packed. Like this is not a joke. We were like butt to butt, like elbow to elbow on like our, on our row. And Alan Richardson, who's a big fan of the pod, big Vandy fan on Twitter. He was right behind me with his folks. He was awesome. He was bringing the noise. Um, But yeah, it was, I totally agree. There was, it was, it wasn't a family atmosphere, but I noticed there were a lot of like, kids there like i feel like every crowd shot was like this you know group of like 15 year old it was awesome man like to my right was a dad and his son and in front of me um were some guys who are familiar with the pod and familiar with this on twitter i didn't grab their name i wish i did um but two dudes were there one with i'm assuming his son who we actually were chit-chatting his son was maybe (laughs) three four five i'm really bad with telling um (laughs) <laughs> kids ages but his his we were talking we were talking and his kid was actually very distraught that miles studi left he was his favorite player and uh, he's I, I made i made a joke about because carlos smith was raining down threes and i was like 
I just got up and like yelled. I was like, yeah, Miles, you weren't getting your spot back. And the guy was like, <laughs> we were chit-chatting. He's like, yeah. He's like, this guy like pointed to his little son was like distraught. He said whenever he broke the news <laughs> that he was transferring, he cried and everything. And I was like, dude, man, I'm sorry. I take back what I said. But I was like, shout out to this little guy. But man, dude, the crowd was awesome. 2L was packed. L was packed. I mean, even like along the court, so like A through E and then the second deck was awesome. There were some Michigan fans there. It was brought to my attention that apparently Michigan does have a really large alumni base in Nashville. Who doesn't nowadays? God. Exactly. I I mean, Nashville is, that's just, Nashville is the it city in America. So a lot of people are moving here, whether it be for healthcare reasons or whatnot. Um, But they were mainly behind the michigan bench yeah. but there still wasn't a lot of them like it mm-hmm. like you saw them but it like i mean they're they're they weren't a ton of it wasn't them. like auburn it, it i mean with it with no, michigan's no, roster no, 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 this no. year and the talent they know is probably not going to be back next year yeah my expectation was not seeing a lot of michigan fans because yeah. unlike vanderbilt fans that can talk themselves into with this run again this team will be improved next season almost every one of these guys is coming back that is not the case uh, for John yeah. Howard in Michigan. So I think no. that may have had an impact on them yeah, playing. That, that Michigan program not trending in the right direction. And I think, no. you know, Stackhouse finding a way to win that game was bigger than a lot of Andy fans think, I think, down the stretch. Because you lose this, it's like, man, what an opportunity. I don't know about wasted, but, you know, you could say that because this this team is the betting favorite to win the NIT right now. Um, I don't know. I think that was released after that was switched to they they became the favorite after mm-hmm. beating Michigan, which is no surprise. I mean, some of the teams left like Utah Valley, uh, Cincinnati. Yeah. You know, there, there's some there's some there's some nobodies left. So it'll be interesting. Yeah. Uh, the UAB game will be different. I think the UAB fans from Birmingham up I-65 might make that trip. There, there you know, there, there will be that'll be a fun atmosphere Wednesday night. We'll get into all that. We've got a lot to get to. Before we do, though, don't forget to follow us on Twitter at door underscore report and Instagram door dot report. Like us on Facebook. Subscribe to our YouTube channel. Our podcast is available on Anchor, iTunes, Spotify, and Google Podcasts. And while you're at it, give our podcast five stars and a review on iTunes. All right, let's get to the breaking news. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. No matter what style you're going for, you can trust your flooring job to Alaco Fine Wood Floors. Take a walk through the woods in your home every day. Get your flooring job started today by calling 615-356-0303. Alaco Fine Wood Floors. Craftsmanship you can stand on. All right, guys, before we start, before we get into anything, Shout out to Trevor, or should I say Hack Squat Jim Duggan, on being named the best Twitter account to follow during basketball games this season by Big Game Boomer. I looked at that earlier today, and Big Game Boomer, by the way, very respected. I don't know what you'd call him, just Twitter account. I mean, he's account. yeah, he's he's, he's <laughs> but it's like mixed with serious. It's like yeah, it, yeah. Some there's, the there's, rankings are serious with targeted things that are not serious, Trevor. 
that was a serious award that you won. There's a respect thank factor. You, thank you. Yeah, there's a respect factor with Big Game Boomer and Trevor. That that's an honor, man. I mean, legitimately, like I'm, I'm not like I'm not even kidding. That's pretty cool. It was. Did he? It was pretty did wild. DM, did he have to DM you? How did that? No. Like, so I. Well, okay. So I recently, to give you the full story, I recently got added into a Twitter group DM with Big Game Boomer. So I'm in there. It's like, but I haven't spoken to him. Like I, I'm not super active in there, Um, but he's in there. And I, it actually was one Wednesday night. I just checked my Twitter and it said like big game boomer added me to like a group chat on Twitter. And I was like, what the heck is this? And he was like, he's like, we need a Vandy fan in here. And so I actually, I haven't spoken to him directly or anything like that. Like I, I've maybe sent like two or three messages in there. And like the week I've been there. Uh, but yeah, someone just tagged me on the tweet and was like, yo, check this out. So, so it is, it's honestly, it, it, how does it feel? It, it, it honestly feels kind of cool. Um, I'm trying Validation. not to let it go to my head, but yo, shout out to everybody on Vandy Twitter. This is not just a me thing. This is, this is the us thing. This is, <laughs> this is, this is for the common Vandy fan. This is for everybody who interacts with me, Billy Will on Twitter. Uh, with a door report. So yeah. So I, it's funny. It is, it, 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 is, it is actually quite an honor. It, it was, it was very funny, but it, I was like, oh, this is actually like kind of cool. That's one of those things that I saw and I saw your name on that list. And I think I got more excited than if I would have seen my own name on that yeah. list. I was like, no way it's hacks. Yes. Absolutely, it, it's it took me, it took me a while to like, be like, oh, like, this is not like, <laughs> this isn't a fake list like this is like me on there. It was it was wild. That's pretty it's cool. So, it's so funny because I'm I'm 26. I've had my Twitter since 2010. So I was like, I mean, I'm terrible at math, but I was like an 11, 12, 13 year old kid just tweeting about Vanderbilt <laughs> athletics into the ether for Back literally West. for literally decades. Like I shouldn't like it's crazy. I can't blame my parents. Nobody had any idea what Twitter was back in 2010. So You probably you probably shouldn't have access anymore, but here we are. You, no, I'm a, I'm a, I am a, I am a child of the internet. So it, it it it's been a lot of tweeting. It's been a lot of just shouting things into the ether that nobody sees, but man, I think it actually is kind of cool that like we do have um a growing fan base of Vanderbilt fans on the internet because for the longest time, my first like real like interaction with anybody who is Vandy fans on Twitter was anchor of gold. They were like one of the first accounts. So those dudes at SB nation anchor of gold, that was like my first ever, like, Oh, like there's Vandy fans on the internet. And for the real old ones, there was a guy named Vandy fan, Simon. He's not active anymore, but he was like, (laughs) He was a he he was a real one. So yeah, so it's cool to see that like there's actually other Vandy fans out there. And we've got to meet like a lot of them in person too. So that's that's honestly like really, really cool. And it's a lot of younger dudes too, man. Like yeah. for the longest time, like the Vandy fan base, like if you went to a basketball or a football game with just people who've been going for 30, 40 years and like dudes our age, like didn't give two rips about Vanderbilt athletics. So it yeah. is actually pretty cool to see that that is slowly but surely changing. So it is, yeah. It was very surreal whenever I saw the tweet. 
It's funny. He's he's jumped into our spaces, a couple of our spaces, and and it's always been like I'll see him in there for like a couple minutes, and then he'll leave. So I knew he he had kind of been involved with us a little bit. But uh, congrats to Trevor. Uh, I don't even know what that award best Twitter account to follow during basketball season uh, for Vanderbilt fans. So go follow Hack Squad Jim Duggan if you haven't already. Guys, let's get to some Vandy boys talk. We've got a lot to get to here. I mean, we we. We previewed this series saying this is going to be tough. Ole Miss is one of the best hitting teams in the country. Uh, they got the bats rolling. But, Will, you kept saying they haven't played anybody, and you were right. That showed uh, against yep. this Vanderbilt pitching staff. They haven't faced a pitching staff like Vanderbilt. Uh, the Vandy boys end up run-ruling Ole Miss on Thursday 12-2, to which is which was weird because I was there, and it was it was almost – I was like, what's going on? And the new run rule has been enacted for SEC play. So 10 after 7, I think it is, Trev. Um, so yes. 10 after 7, Vanderbilt run ruled them. And then Friday, 8 nothing. Saturday, 7-2, to two, just dominant. First sweep over Ole Miss since 2013. Outscored the Rebs 27-4. to four. I mean, just, just utter domination. Jack Bolger, I thought, offensively uh, was a big piece, and he's been a big piece for a while. He got dropped into the four spot. This week, he went 8 of 19, two home runs, two doubles, nine RBIs. Bolger has found a role, and I, I think he's he's happy about that. The team's happy about that. Fans are happy about that. It'll be interesting to see how that catcher situation shapes out with Espinal and Bolger. Bolger at the plate is playing a lot better now uh, that he's into that four spot. So, I you know, that, that might be uh, the situation there. But, guys, Hunter Owen, SEC co-pitcher of the week, struck out a career high 11 on Friday night, he only allowed two hits. He's the first Vandy pitcher to throw a nine-inning complete game shutout since Jack Leiter in 2021. So this felt like the old Vandy boys, guys. I mean, this felt like a little bit like that 2019 team where they're so dominant, you're just sort of sitting back, relaxing, and watching them go go at it, <laughs> just dominate the other team. Well, uh, Trevor and I were there Thursday and Friday. I don't know how much of you got to watch, but domination. That, that that's That's what I'll say. Yeah, so like I said, for this exact reason, I just like that there's an example right in front of our faces so that I don't just sound like I'm lazy and don't want to watch every pitch of uh, early season college baseball. All of this stuff more than any other sport, and especially just because of the prestige of the program that Vanderbilt has, and they kind of have this room for error built in early mm -hmm. in the year, that other teams that haven't won two national championships in the last decade just don't have. So that's nice to appreciate. But all of this stuff about Vanderbilt's issues, and now it's all hunky-dory because Vanderbilt just absolutely dominated the number three team in the country that had been rolling through every mm -hmm. other team they had played and was sitting at 14-1. and one. Well, turns out they hadn't played anyone. And there is a massive difference in baseball in playing consistently good opponents and playing one or two one-off games against opponents. Because unlike basketball, baseball is not a pure tournament sport, okay? Mm -hmm. It is a series sport. And so early in the year, all this hype that's being given to these teams with one loss or two losses, or they've just been rolling through Delaware State, it's just <laughs> even more than basketball. I just can't even engage with it. Because people are so ignorant and stupid and just becoming fans of baseball that they think it is the exact same as basketball or even, I won't even say football, but basketball or these non-conference beginning of the year games actually do anything to where you're going to kind of rank in the tiers within the SEC as a conference. There is nothing comparable 
to the SEC as a conference. No. There's nothing even in the same. They're almost not even playing the same sport as mm. the SEC. You have like seven of the top 10 teams in all of college baseball. So all this stuff at the beginning of the year, we'll see. We'll see in a couple months when, you know, the teams finalize their rotations, the lineups are set, the managers know what they've got uh, across the board. Then you'll hear a lot more breakdown and analysis from me. I I under I like the hawk. I love the hawk. I love going out there, sitting oh, yeah. there, watching a game, and the being a bleacher creature. I'm not saying anything against that, but if I'm if I don't have a ticket, I'm box score watching. I'm going to be honest. I'll turn it on if the game's getting close late, and then I will get very into it uh, in the next couple weeks here as Vanderbilt basketball oh, season yeah. closes down. But Trevor, Billy, you guys always inform me about what's going on with baseball. <laughs> so Trevor, go ahead and start informing Will Byram as he is going to uh, continue to get more into Tim Corbin in this baseball. And Trev's the Balls. recap guy. He's yeah. giving us all these recaps. I mean, it. I, I tweeted out, it's so funny because, it, and even, even me, there was legitimate worry about how the bats were going into conference play because in non-conference play, um, not good. Uh, their batting average was not great. Um, even their on base percentage wasn't wasn't awesome. Um, of course the pitching was always was always there. Um, I put in the recap that um, which I'll probably need to pull up the the official numbers, but uh, Vanderbilt starting pitching some of the best in the SEC. I think they had. Yeah, I've, a, I've got them. I've got them here. Uh, their pitching staff now ranks third nationally in hits allowed per nine uh, at six, eighth in whip at 1.09, 12th in ERA at 3.09, and 20th in strikeouts per nine at 11. Exactly. There we go. So the pitching was always there. Um, one thing that really impressed me this weekend is there has been a lot of a lot of discourse around the top of the lineup for Vanderbilt particularly with Enrique Bradfield, mm-hmm. his batting average isn't too great. Um, I've said, I don't, and I, I stand by this. I don't really care about his batting average as long as he gets on base. I don't care if he gets on base via a walk hit by pitch. I don't care. I don't care what he does. Um, I do have a little bit of an issue with him bunting with nobody on. That is another discussion for another time. But for EBJ, just get him on base because that's his bread and butter. He's going to create a lot of um, a lot of confusion on the base paths, especially with a pitch clock to where pitchers now don't really have the uh, a, a lot of time to sort of focus on the hitter as well as Enrique Bradfield if he's on first or even if he's on second or third. So that just sort of compounds the issue whenever you get him on base. But man, Vanderbilt had a lot, a lot of production from the bottom of the lineup this weekend yeah. in particular. Um, Matthew Polk, three for four on Friday. RJ Shrek had a wonderful weekend. He is looking like he's going to be an all SEC kind of yeah. guy with his bat. Um, he looks as good as advertised. He looks awesome. But then you have guys like Parker Nolan. Friday, Parker Nolan had three RBIs. Jonathan Vastine playing shortstop, bats bottom of the lineup. Friday went three for four. Which is um, scary, so by the way. That the fact that he's at the bottom, bottom of that lineup. And and, and I think I think Vastine is batting like uh, like 334 yep. or something like that. Mm-hmm. So man, like talk about just danger all through the lineup. Um they had a lot of loud at bats. 
Um, I believe it was Saturday tied their record for or season record so far. Uh, I forget if it was, I believe it was Saturday four home runs in a game. I mean, yeah, yeah. They're, they're doing really well and they're going up against great pitching. Ole Miss has a really, really nice, um, starting rotation. Vanderbilt yeah. was able to get into the bullpen, uh, Thursday, Friday, which caused them problems on Sunday. Vanderbilt didn't really get the bats going until the fourth inning was whenever they scored their first couple runs. So, yeah, man, I mean, just a, a wonderful weekend for Vanderbilt baseball, a wonderful weekend for the pitching, for the ABs. I mean, and even defensive plays, man. Matthew Polk had probably the play of the weekend on yeah. Thursday with that diving catch. I mean, Davis I was... Diaz continues to show that he's got a stellar glove at third. Um Jonathan Vastine, that last out of the game, uh, I believe on Saturday, the I believe yes. it was Saturday, yeah. the yep. double play to where he caught a he caught a liner right between the eyes and then dove and got the yeah. got the tag out at second. So man, I mean, this team is just awesome. And so even even what you said, Billy, um, particularly with Jack Bolger, is he's obviously not the defensive catcher that Alan Espinal is. Nobody's going to question that, but man, whenever you have a catcher like that, who can produce on offense. And even mm -hmm. if he's not catching in a game and you do have Alan Espinal behind the dish, you can put him at DH and then maybe give Maldonado, who is also off to a stellar start at DH. Yeah. Maybe if you want to give him a little bit of looks somewhere along the infield, probably not the shortstop position, but probably second or third base. If you want to give Diaz a break every now and again, but man, those guys are awesome. My, I think my favorite player right now is RJ Austin. I love that guy. He Tim Corbin keeps watch. calling him a seventies type player. Um, I obviously was not alive during the seventies, but being a big Cincinnati Reds fan, um, he reminds me a lot of Joe Morgan, Joe Morgan, small second base guy, but just like Joe Morgan, man, he has a great bat. He and does. He's only going to get better guys. As he, as he sees more ABs, as he sees this higher competition, he's only going to get better. So it's almost like Vanderbilt goofed around and then they were like, they looked at the schedule. They're like, Oh, the number three teams in the nation is coming. They're like, yeah, I guess we'll start playing baseball now. <laughs> like that's sort of what it feels yeah. like, which is it, which is really fun. That is what it felt like because you know, you knew you, you, you had seen, you hadn't seen what this team was capable of so far. You know, you, you saw them in Arlington and, you know, they, they, they won a couple there and looked good, but you know, it's almost like they were, there was a missing piece. We were, we were still missing something that, that domination, that, that, you know, that, that domination mm -hmm. that the Vandy boys are expected to to have. And they did that this weekend. I mean, they lived uh, in Memorial gym. I can't tell you how many balls uh, hit Memorial gym over the monster. Uh, Matthew Polk, he has a, he had a home run that is yeah. probably still sitting on Memorial gym. <laughs> Parker Nolan, his his uh, classic op opposite field home run, uh, that was on Thursday to get things going, and that really lit a fuse under Vandy. I know I talked about Hunter Owen, but Carter Holton and Devin Futrell pitched just as well, just as good as, as mm -hmm. Owen. Uh, Carter gave up two runs in six innings on Thursday. Devin Futrell gave up two runs in five innings on Saturday. Only three pitchers came out of the Vandy bullpen all series. Bryce Cunningham, Sam Laboki, and Nick Maldonado. None of them gave up a single run. I mean, that that's insane. So Vandy pitching is still Vandy pitching. This isn't really anything new from for Vandy fans, but the hitting, you, you could say, is something new. This level of dominant hitting offensively and this level of firepower is new within the last 
two, two and a half years because you really haven't seen a team and we may not ever see another offense like that 2019 offense, but the fact that you're starting to see a little bit more firepower and aggressiveness from Corbin and this offense and these bats is a phenomenal sign. And that's why D1 yeah. Baseball has Vandy at number four now. Baseball America has them at number five. So they're they're moving up. And I think this is just Vandy saying we're not going anywhere. You know, we're, we're not going anywhere. And the, the demise of Vandy's bats offensively was was greatly exaggerated. I mean, uh, so great win over uh, Ole Miss. Vanderbilt will return to First Horizon Park to face Lipscomb at 6 o'clock Tuesday night is the second of two all-for-loo showdown games. They beat Belmont last Tuesday, uh, so uh, go out to First Horizon Park to see Vanderbilt face Lipscomb. Uh, we'll get more into baseball. I know just dominant series win, but the beef of this episode is going to be basketball because we are in the th- still in the thick of basketball season. And let's talk about that Michigan game, guys. I'll Vanderbilt. S- sorry, no, I'll ahead. say one more thing about baseball too, particularly with the pitching. It is only going to get better because your stud freshman Andrew Dukanich is still yeah, struggling was, yeah, with I forgot the hamstring. That. Yeah, he's gonna come back. And guys, this kid is a stud. Sorry. It's only gonna get better for the Vandy boys. Yeah. So I think I think Corbin said he's day to day. Uh we uh, week to week. Week to week. Okay. Yeah. Week so Dukanich, yeah. he's week to week. And uh, you know, he's a guy that you, Vandy's lucky enough to have enough guys around him on this staff to where they're not hurt. I mean, <laughs> they're used to having pitching depth. I will say this though, Trevor, this is one of the better seasons for pitching depth. I know we say this a lot with Vanderbilt, but yeah, the depth is unbelievable. I mean you Whenever saw Patrick that, Riley is a midweek guy, yeah, I yeah. mean, they've got. If, they I mean, if Patrick Riley can get can get his juices going, I, I know he's, uh, I know he's, it's taking him a little while, but God, if he can get his juices going, I mean, and there, there's a new energy, I think, with this team as well, uh, offensively. Uh, I know Mike Baxter has has gotten a lot of criticism over the last couple of years, but. You know, this sort of proves the fact that he is – he's a phenomenal baseball coach. Uh, he's won at a high level. He's played in the at the professional level. And, you know, he he's he's doing okay uh, with those yeah. Vandy bats. So, again, we'll keep talking Vandy baseball throughout the season, especially in SEC play. They'll head to Starkville uh, next weekend. And Mississippi State just got – piss out of them. Yeah. Mississippi State just got swept by – I forgot who they played. Uh, Kentucky. Kentucky. Yeah, they got swept in Lexington. Another team that got swept was Tennessee at Missouri. Tennessee gets swept. Tony Vitello swept by the team that uh, sort of grew him into the coach he is today. So I Mississippi thought that was State has lost 13 straight SEC games. Crazy. We're Crazy. guys. And- those guys suck. We hate those guys. They want to moan and complain about our scholarships. Well, we're going to go to your stadium, your rinky-dink little stadium, <laughs> where you – Oh, it's it's a great atmosphere. We park our pickup trucks in the outfield. I don't care. You're about to get the piss beat out of you this weekend. <laughs> they'll be they'll be fired up d- down there in Starkville. But if they lose, th- if they get swept this series, there uh, there might may not be too many pickup trucks pulling up back there in left field anymore uh, for Mississippi State down. In also, Starkville. too, people wanted to be like, oh, Christian Little uh, left Vanderbilt to go to LSU. He's like, this is the best pitching staff I've ever had. Um, uh. Yeah, and he got shellacked this weekend. So, yeah, <laughs> I was a Christian Little truther until you want to throw shade at the Vanderbilt pitching staff. So, yeah, you're public enemy number one now, bud. Imagine transferring from Vanderbilt and then calling another program the best pitching staff you've ever pitched on. 
I mean, I know LSU. Yeah. He he might be right, but still, the fa- to even say that like that's it's pretty foolish. So yeah. we'll we'll talk more baseball, guys. But let's get into basketball. Vandy beats Michigan 66-65 from a raucous memorial. I mean, that place was on fire. A little over eight thousand announced attendance. Tyrod Lawrence scored the game-winning layup with ten seconds left. Wild finish, and we'll get into this, guys. But Vandy ended the game on a nine-zero run. In the final 46 seconds, Stackhouse threw together a full-court trap that Michigan just couldn't solve. I mean, I don't know what – they they turned the ball over th- three straight times in the game. Uh, well, Tyron Lawrence just it, – it's insane to to see him, you know, th- thinking about him last year to compared to now. I mean, he's as dominant a, a player that, that Vandy's seen at the guard position in a long time, 24 points, nine rebounds. He was 10 of 17 from the field. 404 from the free throw line, back-to-back 20-plus point performances against Yale and Michigan. And, guys, he's put up 22, 18, 18, 25, and 25 in his last five games. So Tyron Lawrence has been just as important as anybody else, just as important as Ezra Magnon. Magnon had 17. He was 6 of 10 from the field. He's starting to shoot a lot better, guys. I mean, he he really is. And that's not – I don't think it's a fluke either. Like – we're seeing guys getting better under Coach Stackhouse, and you you saw it. You've seen it so far in this NIT with guys like Ezra Magnon, Colin Smith. He had 11 points, three of seven from the three-point line. He had a great drive uh, late in the game, I thought, with a little hesitation. I mean, you're seeing guys' games develop in front of you, and it, that's why it's cool to make a postseason run like this, even if it is the NIT. So, Will, that's the story to me. We're seeing these guys develop right in front of our eyes, and they're playing at home. They're gaining even more confidence. It's just, I mean, you're starting to see the program grow right in front of your eyes. I mean, at, in your home gym, beating great teams, Yale was a good team. I mean, I know they didn't. we said they didn't deserve to be on the floor of Vanderbilt, but they they came this close to beating Princeton in their, their conference tournament in the Ivy League. So, and they could be playing in the NCAA tournament right now. Michigan, a team who played in the Big Ten, one of the best conferences in America. So, Yale and Michigan, they're not chopped liver. Now, Vanderbilt's better than them, and they're better than probably every team in this field. But it's, ni- it's nice to see, guys, some, some dominant efforts from players that you know we had talked about before the season saying, this is what we expect from these guys. Yeah. I, I, okay. I have to, I have, to have this, this take. That was an incredible performance from Vanderbilt. I just want to get it out there early and just say the NIT can be a positive thing. It can it can build positive momentum into the next season, but I just want us to have the understanding and knowledge that if Vanderbilt had, com- had come out late in egg versus Yale and gotten beaten by 15 on their home court, we probably would have come on here and say, yeah, who cares? So I just want to have that understanding of, of, you know, this is a postseason tournament that's not meaningless. It's certainly not meaningless, but it's not necessarily meaningful. Um, and so that's that's one little context. It's not there's not really a point I'm trying to make with that. It's yeah. just we are we are being positive because they have won and came back and had that incredible, like you mentioned, Billy, last 46 seconds, last minute of that game that Michigan never had never shot free throws. Vanderbilt never had to foul uh, and send Michigan to the line and hope for a miss. They forced Michigan into turnovers and bad passes and horrible decisions. Uh, and Jawan Howard had that team looking like deer in the head. They were lost. I mean, oh against God. Stacks Press, and Stack was a step ahead of Juwan Howard on every single 
play inside that last minute. My favorite thing, uh, uh, my favorite tweet that I had the whole game was uh, after Vanderbilt had won, I said, Jerry Stackhouse coached circles around Jawan Howard. And that got a few replies uh, from a few yeah, different people. But there. yeah, I didn't expect that to be uh, as active as it was. But there was a Michigan fan that said, then why wasn't he winning until the end of the game? And that was the only one I responded to or quoted from the replies. <laughs> and I said, because he coached circles around him the last minute of the game. That was why Vanderbilt won. They were down nine. Uh, they came out in that full court press. Michigan called timeouts. And every single time that there was a break in the game, both coaches had a chance to draw up a press versus a press break. Every single set that Jawan Howard came out of, Stack was a step ahead and had a different type of press set up. Mm -hmm. uh, or a different moment that that actual trap would happen. It was the one pass specifically uh, that Michigan threw the ball out of bounds. They actually got the ball across half court relatively easily. And you could see it in what Michigan did, that they kind of loosened up or getting into their offense. And the moment that Michigan's point guard dribbled the, dribbled the ball across the half court line, Vanderbilt trapped. And you could just see that they had no idea what to do and were unprepared for that. And that was when in my head... I I said Jerry is one. I I mean won this game or or definitely assisted mm -hmm. uh in winning this game for this team. He's put them in situations to be successful. So we've been very critical. I've been very critical of Jerry, but I do like always to give props when I clearly see coaching successes. Now, now that I've given the positive, just draw it back to the beginning of, of what I just stated. And just Get remember, the this is the NIT, back to the middle. This is the NIT, okay? And if Vanderbilt would have just had the normal end-of-game run, it would not have invalidated all of the points that we had. We would probably be having a basketball season recap relatively stating the same points. So I'm. it's the NIT. I'm excited for next season. Uh, but also just keep in mind, you, you mentioned Colin Smith lighting it up uh, at the beginning of this episode, mm -hmm. but... Malik Dia, Colin Smith, and Lee Dward are all true freshmen. Yeah. Uh, and the common and mm -hmm. uh on ESPN they said Vanderbilt has two posts down low in Malik Dia and Lee Dwart that don't look like true freshmen in their body types. So giving those guys another offseason mm -hmm. to develop, Paul Lewis, hopefully Noah Shelby, that's what I'm excited about. So it's not necessarily winning the NIT. That's more of like another stepping stone in this team and saying eventually this type of success should happen in the big the big dance the tournament that matters mm -hmm. so i yeah. i don't want to be negative i don't want to be a negative nancy but i do just want to say that we would be brushing off a big failure in the nit and saying it's hard to focus on a tournament when you were focused on the ncaa tournament yeah but no. now that we've gotten out of the way trevor billy what were your main takeaways uh did jerry stackhouse coach circles around juan allen um, I think I got I some pushback. So. I got some pushback on it more than I expected. I think the big thing that resonated with me, um, and you brought up the press in that last 56 seconds of the game. I think sort of whenever the tide started to change for me, um, and not just for me, I think it was super evident in the game. And uh, whenever you guys tweeted out uh, questions or comments, uh, my dad brought up the same thing. I think the biggest moment of the game was Jerry Stackhouse putting Jordan right on Hunter Dickinson. Mm -hmm. That, in my opinion, that completely changed the game. Um, QMB was given his all, but man, Dickinson was eating his lunch. 
Um, I, Hunter Dickinson, I think he finished, he finished with 21 points, 11 rebounds, had a double, double, yeah. um, his mid range game. I mean, Q and B really couldn't stop it. Um, and then decided to put a smaller Jordan Wright on him and Jordan locked him up. If you don't, if Jerry doesn't make the decision to, to go small and put Jordan on Hunter Dickinson, Vandy doesn't win that game. So, I mean, that I totally agree Nobody in there, nobody in that arena would have thought to put Jordan Wright on Hunter Dickinson. Um, I agree. Jerry outcoached Juan had Jawan Howard. And that was the big moment for me is is Jordan had, and not just Saturday, but even against Yale, had really, really off nights uh offensively. Yeah. Um Saturday, he only scored six points. He had four assists, three rebounds, but man. Whenever he you put him on Dickinson, he locked him up. There's no other way to say it. He he made Hunter Dickinson completely inefficient and completely took him away from the ball game. And so I think and my that, big takeaway from that game is is Jordan Wright um and Jerry's decision to do that. I think if, if Jordan doesn't do that and doesn't have the defensive performance that he did, Vanderbilt doesn't win that game. So he might not show up in the box score. He didn't score a lot of points. He wasn't – he actually was was really, really cold from three offensively. But, man, my MVP for that game uh, is probably Jordan Wright because if he doesn't lock down Dickinson, Vandy doesn't win. No, and we've said that all year, guys. Like, I feel like after every episode, I'll come on here and talk about Jordan Wright's impact on the game. And that's what he did against Michigan. He's the Swiss Army knife for Jerry Stackhouse. Say, hey, Jordan, we need you to back down this smaller smaller guard and get us a bucket. Hey, Jordan, go take on Hunter Dickinson, one of the better post players in the country, and win us this game. That one, I, I agree, Trev. That won mm-hmm. the game. That decision right there, because Dickinson was dominant all the way through, and then Jordan Wright goes on Dickinson. Dickinson he, it's like he doesn't know what to do. Vanderbilt started trapping him more, and they, they were more creative. They were more aggressive. So, I think, number one, Stackhouse knows his team very well. He knows where to put guys. He's putting his players in positions to to succeed. Like you said, Will, I thought that was a great Mm -hmm. point. And as a coach, when you know your team and when you're able to sort of make quick decisions, quicker decisions, it's almost like in the last couple years – we we haven't seen quick decisions we you know from Stackhouse and the entire coaching staff but now it's like okay they have full confidence in anybody they throw on the floor whether it's Paul Lewis whether it's you know I know there's young guys that they may not want to play as much but now they get that opportunity to say hey Paul we we trust you to go out there hit hit big shots we've seen him do that before Malik Dia he's done it before uh, maybe not as of late but we've seen it even Lee Dort so I just think the the development. Uh, factor with this coaching staff and these players, especially young players, has been huge. And Will Colin Smith is a guy that I, I think before the season, you know, we had high expectations for. I, th- I remember you saying Colin Smith is a guy that you know I expect to be the most college ready guy, and I think we all agreed on that. Yes, it might have been slower developing, but that's most freshmen. That's most freshmen at the college level. This Colin Smith guy, the guy we've seen in the NIT, dangerous player. Dangerous player, and I think it reminds me of a little bit of Stack's game a little bit. You know, you you throw throw on some Stack's Stack highlights, whether it's at UNC or in the NBA. I think Stack likes that about Colin Smith, and so that's what intrigues me: the younger development of a guy like Colin Smith 
And now you get recruiting momentum. Guys see that. They're like, okay, Stack can do that to me as well. So I think that's what stands out to me the most. Yeah. And I do want to backtrack. I'm not trying to dismiss what you just said. I think Stack has done a great job of developing these young guys, especially Colin Smith and Paul Lewis, who I don't even think we discussed. Uh, before the season, to be honest, as part as part mm-hmm. of this young group, and he's probably been the second largest contributor. Some of that because of Lee Dort's injury, but Paul Lewis only played four minutes in that game. He had three points, but that three points was a big three points. I, mm-hmm. I specifically remember that just being a big momentum bucket. He's a big shot maker. So yeah. you know, you Trevor, you gave your MVP award to Jordan Wright. I think we've given Jordan Wright a lot of credit on this podcast. I think we've done a good job of spreading it around proportionately. The one guy that I don't think we have shined enough light on just because he's been so good since he was benched in that Alabama 57 point loss is Tyron Lawrence. He has yep. been the re- everybody. What's what's the reason this team is winning uh, at one point? It's been Ezra Mignon, number three or number two, Liam Robbins mixed in there. But obviously that's not why they were winning because he's been out with injury and they've continued to play like this. It's Tyron Lawrence. I mean, he is a get a bucket type of guy. Any time that Vanderbilt looked like they were going to be out of that game or Michigan was going to pull away and get to a lead in a point in the game that almost felt like Vanderbilt was out of the game, Tyron Lawrence would get a bucket, would finish uh, one of those drives. And he does it so casually. He does it it's, it, it's like he's not yeah. even making it. He's make always it. Yeah. the leading scorer almost. And he's it's always a quiet 20. In that run, you named off, I don't remember what, what you said he had individually in each of the last five games, but those 22, numbers. Every, 18, 18, 25, and 25. Every single one of those has been a quiet 18. <laughs> yeah. or a quiet Other 25. than maybe one of them. I think it was but the Yale game. Yeah, it, but it's, it's still they're, like. They're okay. all key buckets, but yeah, they're not yeah. like when Trey Thomas hits a shot, it's like you remember it. There's no wow it's, factor. Yeah. It's it's Tyron Lawrence does these amazing things. He he had an incredible dunk in transition, and it's like you appreciate it, but it's almost mm-hmm. it just goes into the bank of Tyron Lawrence. Yeah. Anybody else would do that at what he does three, four, five times a game, and the Vanderbilt social media team would be tweeting seven video angles of it. And they do <laughs> a good job of like expressing how good Tyron is, posting his highlights. Yeah. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying he does it so much. He'll make these difficult finishes at tough angles over the center uh, late in the shot clock. And you're like, that was what Scottie Pippen Jr. did last year. And that was mm-hmm. one thing we talked about with this team. Who is the get a bucket guy? It's usually not your center. So you need a guard, somebody that plays the one through four that can just go one-on-one with who's guarding them and no one can guard them. That has clearly become Tyron Lawrence. I think we thought it might be Jordan Wright going into the year. Right now it's number one, Tyron Lawrence, and something I don't think any of us expected. Number two is Ezra Mignon. I mean, his offensive game has just been different. If you would have told me beginning of the season that Ezra Mignon was putting up 17 points and was the team's second leading scorer, I wouldn't have believed you. Because even at his max potential in my head, I thought he was a distributor, defender, quick passer. But man, he has turned into a guy that defenses have to game plan for. Mm-hmm. in this Vanderbilt offense. And we talked about it when things were going bad, but that little Ezra jumper he's beginning to develop, yeah, that was not there. And teams leave him alone once. You've seen it. They'll leave him alone. Mm-hmm. He's locked, dialed it up, fired up that shot and hit it. The rest of the game, they're not leaving him alone from three. And he's almost done it consistently enough over a long, long enough stretch of time. I mean, this could be 
going into next year, a completely different Ezra Mignon uh, than we saw this a majority of this season. Not necessarily he's going to have the offseason to work on that jumper and whatever, but how teams are going to have to defend him is mm-hmm. going to let him get to the basket in a way yeah. that we didn't see a majority of and this year. So Tyron is number one, but Ezra offensively also. Those two guys have been the reason for this run. Yeah, and I don't even think yeah. with, with Ezra, I don't even think he has to hit, uh, you know, get, I don't think he has to hit a great percentage from three, and we've talked about that. If he can hit, and he started to hit this, that free throw line floater slash jump shot where he has hit that. I mean, that's why you saw his field goal uh, from the field, he was six of 10 from the field. I mean, that's a lot. That's yeah. Most of those are, are tough finishes in the lane, but mm-hmm. a few of those guys were that sort of that long floater where, you know, yeah. he'll, he'll, he'll make, he'll turn it into a floater sometimes, but he'll also just pull up on you and rise up feet, seemingly six feet in the air. And he's yeah. able to get that shot off. Um, he's almost shooting 30% from three now. Remember, he was Which like under 5% unbelievable. or close to yeah. that. He's shooting 28% now. Because he hasn't taken very many. Um, and now, down yeah. the stretch, I would argue in the last five games, he's taken over, over 10 threes. I, I mean, I I think I would, because you saw him attempt a lot in the SEC tournament, and I, he, I feel like he's taken uh, several more uh, in this NIT. But, guys, for Ezra, it's, it's, real, it's crazy watching his game. Oh. I'm sorry to interrupt you. I didn't realize this. He hasn't missed a three since uh, February 25th. He hasn't missed a three. Oh my God. So he hasn't shot a ton. But he's only, he didn't shoot two threes following the Florida game on February 25th. And then in the LSU game, one for one, Kentucky two for two, AM didn't shoot one, Yale two for two, Michigan one for one. That's a pretty decent little stretch he's on right now. Yeah. And, and they've been him. big shots like the Kentucky yeah. game that from half court or seemingly half Huge. court as times expire. It's a shot of the game. Yeah. And that's the thing with Ezra. Like, it's crazy he even got that shot off. But he's so quick that he, if he gets around you, you're done. I mean, you, you're not you're catching toast. up to him yep. because he will he'll turn his back to you. And then he'll find he'll use the rim and the backboard as protection, and he'll find a way. I don't know if I've ever seen a Vanderbilt point guard play the way he does. I, there hasn't been many college point oh, guards that do. I mean, in the NCAA tournament, you know, we've seen a guy like Marquise Miller uh, or Marquise Noel at Kansas State, and then Fairleigh Dickinson yeah. has another five foot nine kid. But Ezra, obviously, that missing thing, that missing piece is shooting. But he is just as good as some of those really good small point guards in the NCAA tournament. He's just not a consistent shooter. But as as you said, Will, with those stats, he sort of is the last month. I mean, it's, yeah. it's crazy. It's not he's not now. He doesn't have the attempts, I, I think, to validate that. But the attempts he is putting up there, they're going in. So it's, look, it's I, I know this isn't where I expected this podcast to go. But I, the more I'm looking at Ezra Mignon's like stats throughout the year, the more amazing. No, the more, well, maybe, I don't know. The more <laughs> amazing be. this. So he hit his only other three of the season on November 2030s, one out of two for St. Mary's. He did not hit a single other three until February 18th against Auburn was his next three that he made. Okay. And he didn't want to take that one either. If you remember, he like stutter yeah. stepped and was like, I don't want to shoot this guy. And then he <laughs> didn't shoot one against LSU. Something, I don't know if it was Stack said something to him or if he just had a self-realization. Something happened because, because we talked about it. LSU. And then he yeah. shot three against Florida. And then he's been consistently at least putting one or two up. 
He's had a couple games where he hasn't, but the confidence, I mean, that's half the battle with shooting yeah. is confidence. And, and when you're it. playing at the college level, they all have the form, right? It's not yeah. about beef. Their elbow is fine. Like it's not about their balance. Like a lot of it's confidence. Yeah, and we had an entire podcast dedicated to Ezra shooting. I forget which mm-hmm. recap or preview it was, but we said this: all Vanderbilt needs is to have him maybe consistently hit that that fifteen foot jump shot. And guys, now he's he's sort of started doing that, and and you can even tack on a three or two now each game. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, man, it's it's just I know we do this every off season. It's not even the off season yet, but if Ezra and Tyron both stay, which they most likely are. Um, that's a pretty scary backcourt. I mean, it it really, really is. And so that's what you look at, Trevor. I thought they didn't shoot the ball particularly well uh, against Michigan. They were six of twenty-three from three no. from the field. They were a lot better, forty-three percent. But mm-hmm. I think that's what they're proving. And so many big free throws late. They were ten yep. of twelve from the free throw line, guys. Tyron four doing... for four from the line. Yeah, Ezra went also four. For four also, as too, well. I think we should note too talking about. Uh, Going back to Tyron Lawrence, yeah, he led the he led the team in rebounds too. He was he was I, a I, rebound I wanted to away. mention that yeah he was yeah. a rebound I think a rebound away had nine rebounds one rebound, rebound away a, from a double double from a double double like I mean he just he did it all um mm-hmm. and yeah I I totally agree on Ezra Mignon I think too Will like you said earlier about in in your tweet Jerry coaching circles around um Howard sorry I had taco so I'm like <laughs> trying not to. <laughs> Burp on the mic. Yeah, <laughs> literally. But I, I feel like too, especially during the Michigan game, there were a lot of moments to where certain rotations or certain certain things they ran to where Ezra Mignon was matched up on a big. Yeah. He was matched up on a four or he was matched up on a bigger guard and just took him to the hole every time. You, you would just see him come out on the perimeter and everybody watches like, oh my God, that's a mismatch. So I mean, kudos to them and their rotations. Yeah, this team's. I mean, really we've smart, also, guys. Billy, we've also said it and Trevor a lot about Trey Thomas's playing time. And I saw a lot of tweets underneath my tweet about Jerry Stackhouse about the playing time that he received and Trey Thomas. I would got. like to talk Number about 12. this. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I assumed that there would be some opinions from a, at least one of you two guys about this. I would but like number, to hear what you, I would like to hear yeah. what you have to think about yeah. this because number twelve being on the court was I like three separate this, people said something underneath it. Uh, you've got to keep in mind Stackhouse had tightened down his rotation at the end of this season. He had tightened it down, and Miles Studi and Liam Robbins were both heavily a part of it. So it's one thing to lose a very set position player like Liam Robbins because he plays the five. Liam Robbins, if he's in the game, he's the five. Even if QMB's in, he's probably playing a mixture of that double post five. Miles Studi played the two through the five when Liam Robbins mm-hmm. was out. So once he decided that he was not going to play in the tournament uh, with his teammates and he was going to enter his name into the transfer portal early, uh, for some reason, I mean, I get it, whatever. We had our opinion on that last podcast, but also the portal's still going to be there. Like, what's it going to hurt to play three, four basketball games? Whatever, that's that's besides <laughs> the point. Uh, you have to adjust something. Like, somebody has to play and take those minutes that Miles yeah. Duty was playing 25, 28 minutes a game on top of the minutes that were already distributed from Liam Robbins, who was playing 25 to 28 minutes a game. So... Noah Shelby, I think, has potential to be better than Trey Thomas. I think we would all agree on that. Right now, based on the needs of this team, I don't know 
if Noah Shelby's an upgrade. I think you'd get the same mistakes that you're getting from Trey Thomas. It's just built into our head because he's also not been shooting fantastic lately uh, that Trey Thomas's mistakes like jump out in our yep. mind. Um, I'm not saying one, I'm defending yeah. it. I, I can understand the frustration. I'd like to see more Paul Lewis. I'd like to see more Noah Shelby, <clears throat> whatever it is. But right now, I don't know if Paul Lewis is probably confident uh, as that two guard. And right now, anybody providing flexibility to Jerry Stackhouse is going to get minutes. And right now, Trey Thomas can play the one or the two. And that is a huge asset to Jerry that he can probably swap no matter what the set play is, what offense, what pre- what they're running. He he has the knowledge of how to run that from the one guard or the two, because that's another thing in basketball. Point guard and two guard, three guard, depending on what offense you're running, are very different positions. I mean, you have completely different responsibilities on the offensive end, especially, uh, but also the defensive end. So right now, I just don't think Noah Shelby and Paul Lewis have a full understanding of this offense from the two-guard role. And I could be completely wrong. I'm not watching practice every day. But it's just the obvious, like, why is Paul Lewis not playing the two-guard more over Trey Thomas with how he's playing? There has to be something more to that. I'm past the point of just thinking Jerry's an idiot. Like, I think I am past that. I've gained a little more coaching respect for him ever since what he did during the Alabama game actually worked even though it maybe have cost them a tournament berth. Like he clearly has a feel for this team. And if Paul Lewis was comfortable in that two spot, I think he'd be playing over Trey Thomas because I think everyone can see the potential Paul Lewis has. But also I get it. It's pretty frustrating to see a guy out there. That's what a junior and still kind of consistently making these mistakes is undersized, getting bullied on the defensive end. So I'm kind of in the middle. I get it. This roster is a little depleted. But Trevor, I can understand the frustration. Do you think too, and this is something that I've been thinking about, is is this is sort of how I felt about Miles Studi too, is whenever you put him out there, there oftentimes he could be a defensive liability. But the fact that like just the teeny tiny possibility that he could get hot behind three, behind the arc, do you think that translates to Trey Thomas as well as, is there might be a like a little bit of stack house that thinks like if if he just gets hot like if i just throw him out there and he just gets hot that almost outweighs i think it negates negative it it, it does i mean it's what have you done for oh go ahead billy well yeah i was just gonna say it from a trey thomas perspective you know he's on the floor say he hits back to back to back threes that's a 90 run single handedly now that's rare i know but he's done it before i mean trey mm-hmm. thomas thomas has done it before not not recently but say he does that but then later in the game you have a couple turnovers and they're huge turnovers you know that doesn't negate it then but if the turnovers are in the first half not in a big spot and the and the shots are clutch down the stretch late it's sort of it's all situational and mm-hmm. honestly, I, I'm sort of with you, Will. Like, you know, Trey Thomas, when he hits a big three, it's almost like you've said before, Trevor, euphoric. It's like, okay, I've, I'm, I have forgotten yeah. every turnover you've committed because you hit this shot that put us up by six. Yep. Like, it's just, I don't know. And I think Stack is, is, is in that, that mold as well. Like, he's such a, he's, he's a great shooter. He's struggling right now. Shooters struggle. But against UAB, Tomorrow or Wednesday night, he could come back and and hit three three threes in a row, and and Vandy controls the game. So, 
I, I don't, mm-hmm. I don't, I don't have a strong opinion either way. It's I, the it's, off, it's the offset question is great, Trevor. And what you just said, I, Jerry and a coach's trust are interesting things because I think Noah Shelby and Paul Lewis both have potential to also get hot and make a lot yeah. of threes and change <laughs> the momentum of a game, but they haven't ever actually done it. Like Trey Thomas has done it. On Jerry yeah. Stackhouse's team, he's done it before in previous seasons. It has not gone great lately, but it's kind—it's of, weird that I get in a position that I don't love the minutes that Trey Thomas is getting because I always defend shooters. I think players that are not very good defensively but can get hot and knock down three, four threes and a half or in a small stretch of time is way more valuable than a couple turnovers or letting a guy drive to the basket. Like the, you, you see it in the NBA. I mean, the NBA is full, has a full bench of role players. And yeah. a lot of those guys are three point shooting specialists. You they don't see defenders. that a lot. You don't see that a lot in college mm-hmm. anymore. And I think that Jerry has more of an NBA perspective. And so he sees Trey Thomas and he's like, there's a reason the NBA values this. It's because that yeah. is a rare skill that can literally change the entire Spread shape of a floor. game in a minute. Because if he knocks down three threes, it's euphoric. I don't remember if it was <laughs> Trevor or Billy that said it, but for the oppo- opposing team, it's like, oh shit, we're done. Like, we're done. He, he hits yeah. one, or Miles Studi hits one, and it's something. It's how you define a shooter. It's like Studi and Thomas are both shooters. Tyron Lawrence is it can shoot, but it's like when they hit that first one, they zoom in on Trey Thomas or when Studi was there, and you can see it in their face. Like yeah. they're very different guys. Studio was a lot more vocal after he hit one. Trey Thomas tries to keep his face deadpan, but you can see his mouth is a little open when he's on defense. His eyes are just locked in and shooting is such an odd thing because it translates momentum to the rest of the team. I know in practice, dude, Trey Thomas has some practices guys, where he just yeah. cannot miss. And I know when he hits that first one in whatever game it is, the rest of that roster is like, Oh Yeah finally the rim is off the basket and everyone else is going to get to see what this guy can do. So it's like we said, everybody's due. I think Trey Thomas is like the last guy. Yeah. Well, and two, like kudos to Jerry too, because it, even with miles too, but, but now that he's not on the team, but specifically with Trey, it seems like, it doesn't seem like it, it, it's a, it's a fact. He's still got the green light to shoot. So to me, it seems like, Jerry and the coaching staff obviously know more than we do. And they, like you said, well, they've probably seen a lot of things in practice and he's got that coach's trust to where, <laughs> Hey, like go out. I mean, that's, that's what got Tyron in trouble a little bit as he didn't want to shoot. And so, I mean, if, if, if he's got Jerry's trust and he clearly does, he's got the green light. If he's within 35 feet of the basket, it seems like. Um, so yeah, maybe, Maybe my last thing I'll say about Trey Thomas is shooting last thing. Cause he's probably not listening. Nobody on the team is listening, but on the 0.001% chance anyone is Trey, I just have, are you a step into shooter or are you a jump into shooter? Honestly, I think on this cold streak, I've seen him doing both. I've seen both pieces of footwork. And one of my only quotes from my high school coach that I actually like, because I disagreed with his coaching style was he asked, are you a step into or a jump into shooter? And his next line was, if you don't know the answer to that question, you're not a shooter. And so <laughs> that's that's something interesting that I didn't even think about. And a lot of times when I'll mention that, like just watch his feet. 
next time. If he jumps, lands on two feet, jumps up again to shoot, or if he steps one, two, then shoots, because I've seen a mixture yeah. trace so it'll be interesting yeah. to, to little tidbit uh of shooting things on the basketball court to keep track of with trey i think i think trey is a really good shooter off of a ball screen and that might surprise some people but i've seen a lot yeah. of times with trey he'll get he'll kind of you know i don't know how to describe it he'll sort of slither his way off a ball screen and he'll have that rhythm going and he'll pull up like that's what i i think that's trey's game now he can he can shoot off the catch as well of course but mm-hmm. what i've realized guys this is going to be the trey thomas game this UAB game, it 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 has that sort of feel to it. Oh I mean, you know, all combust. <laughs> that's there's something special. Like when you when you know he's a good shooter and he drills a three, that there's something about it. Like it's different when you're seeing Ezra hit a three. It's like, oh, I'm, you know, it's just a walk in the park. Oh, Ezra hit a three, and then mm-hmm. you know you see Trey hit a three. It's like, boom, you know, it's like yeah. that, that's his that's his game right there. So, guys, any we're gonna get to some fan comments and questions, but anything else on Michigan? I know that was. You know, the crowd was into it. Uh, the, the, you know, I thought the coaching staff made so many good adjustments. Anybody else we haven't mentioned? I, you know, we, we talked about Jordan, QMB. Um, you know, he got a charge. That, he did. I he mean, took that, he took that charge. Not, as soon as he took that charge, I thought game. of Billy. <laughs> yeah, not his best game. But if there was a, if there Tough was a prop game. bet out every Vanderbilt game for, and, and every player had like charge QMB, charge Jordan, charge Tyron, I'm punching that charge every time. For, for QMB over one charge a game. I mean, he, he takes a charge every game and, and it's always in a big spot for Vanderbilt momentum wise. So that that's what I got guys. I just think this team is morphing into what we have always thought they, they should be. And you know, it, it's here and it's nice to see it. It, it really is. So anything else on Michigan before we get to this is it. comments, this is the last comment I've got. And it's about Ezra Mignon again. Okay, this is just a good example. Ezra Mignon has scored above 15 points in seven of the last, or 15 or more points in seven of the last eight games. Okay. Um, We had some very, yes, he has scored 15, 6, 15, 17, 25, 16, 18, 17. I had no idea, and I watch every ball game. I didn't either. So this is what I think we are never, we try to never be negative just for the sake of being negative. Like, you would have never heard us come on here and be so critical of this Jerry Stackhouse team three years ago with the roster that Jerry Stackhouse had and the talent level that we thought they had. This is why we were so angry uh, post-Alabama and early in this season is this team had the talent the whole time. They're missing probably their best player, Liam Robbins, right now. Well, mm-hmm. Ezra Mignon and Tyron Lawrence just step up all of a sudden. Ezra scoring 15-plus every single game. He's an offensive juggernaut. Tyron scoring almost 20 a game. It's like this is what we expected from the beginning. So Jordan when is playing defense it, like he's Michael yeah. Jordan So when we didn't see it, we were like, so like, what the hell is going on? The talent is here. These dudes are ball players, And for whatever reason, it's just not coming together. And when you have the talent on the roster and it's not coming together – the thing you blame is coaching. And right now, this team is finally gelled together. And I want to mention this too, guys, before we get to fan comments and questions. Credit to Liam Robbins. I know we yeah, haven't yeah. been talking about him because he hasn't been playing. But the fact that that kid is still with the program, he's sticking yeah. with the culture. He's cheering on his teammates. He's the loudest guy on the bench. That has helped this team. You yeah. know, because they they see he's committed to the program that makes everybody else want to join him, want to join the bus. So Liam Robbins has – he's changed this program. 
for for the better. And, and mm-hmm. I don't know that you know we knew we were going to say that before you know before he got here as he announced his transfer decision. But what a kid, man! I mean, what what a guy! I can't say enough good things about Liam. I've heard mm-hmm. a lot of great things about him. He could be you know, getting therapy, training for the NBA, whatever right now, saying, guys, good luck, but I got I got my NBA career to worry about. No, he he's worried about this team and these guys. So I can't say enough about Liam Robbins, and I know Absolutely. y'all completely agree. So salute totally uh, to Liam. I wish we were talking Very about you. Very glad you said the- that, Billy. Yeah, I had yeah. to throw it out there because, I, you know, I think it's easy to forget about him right now, you know, because he's not playing, he's not on the floor. But the moment the moment I saw a video from a local reporter of him scooting around in his scooter at Bridgestone, just having fun, he's still he's still positive. A lot of guys, this would this would crush him, man, and I'm sure it has. But he hasn't let it affect the team and his morale. So uh, credit to Liam, uh, man. He, he's uh, he, he's a hell of a kid. He's got bright future still. Uh, so hopefully, you know, he's able to to have his NBA career that he wants. But let's get we got a lot of comments and questions, guys. Let's start with Luke. Talk about how we've won several one-possession games this season. Usually teams that overachieve in that area regress the following season. How can the team make sure that doesn't happen? Well, number one, um, I'll get to that second part later, but that's so true. This team has won a lot of tight games where last year they didn't. They just didn't go their way. I mean, you saw a lot of low, not maybe not low scoring, but tight games late where Vanderbilt just couldn't pull them out. This year, they've pulled them out. They have found a way to win late so many times. I mean, on the road at Rupp Arena uh, against Kentucky at Bridgestone. You could say on the road at Rupp <laughs> again. So you mm-hmm. just, you've just you seen it so many times. How can they make sure it doesn't happen? Close games? I don't know if they can. That That's their DNA, guys, kind of getting into the mud late. It, it's close. Yeah. I feel like every game is the same, weirdly enough. I know the... There's game. There's outliers where Vanderbilt, you know, they've dominated LSU at Bridgestone, and um, you know they dominated a, a couple other teams here and there. But you know they they have played with the opponent and they've just kept it tight, and they're comfortable late. They're comfortable when it's close in a tie game with two minutes mm-hmm. left. They love that. So yeah. I don't know how to answer how how can they make sure it doesn't happen. But man, they have won a lot of one possession games, and that tells you the growth of the program. These questions sometimes are a little too good, Billy, because <laughs> one of one of the things like in bookmarked in my mind during the dog days of summer, I like to get these little things in my head. One of the stats was talking about I can't remember it. I don't have it written down, but one of the stats was talking about that was talking about teams that win have a low scoring margin and win a lot of one possession games uh, typically either like go neutral or regress. Yeah, my comeback to that would just be they had a lot of get a lot of close games two two seasons ago. And like you said, they right, yeah. just didn't break Vanderbilt's way. Uh-huh. I think some of that is luck. I mean, some of it, like the ball just isn't going to go in, but I think they've majority, gotten lucky this year. Yeah. 80, 90% of it, in my opinion, is just their talent is better. Now their depth is better now. So late in game, when these opposing teams are in foul trouble, whatever it is, Vanderbilt actually has the guys that stack wants to have on the court. And they're not just wearing down late. They're not losing leads late. You've seen a lot of things happen like in this Michigan Michigan game where Vanderbilt was down. And it's the old, did the other team fall apart? Or did Vanderbilt perfectly execute their end of game strategy over and over and over? Earlier in the season, I would have said that Vanderbilt's just getting lucky. Now it's getting past the point of being a fluke. It's really yeah. getting past that point. 
clearly at the end of the game, this team is very well prepared. I'm not saying that Jerry Stackhouse is the greatest coach on the planet or he's great at rotations or, you know, giving guys the correct amount of minutes or whatever, but just X's and O's late game scenario, offense or defense, Jerry seems to be a step ahead of his opponents. And so that's, I always tend to lean towards the opposing team blew it whenever you have that debate. But the amount of times it's happened, the variations in which it has happened, and Vanderbilt consistently coming out coming out on top under Jerry Stackhouse, it's hard to just say it's luck. I mean, I think the yeah. talent is just improving. Next season is just so huge. Like you said, how yeah. do you prevent that next season? I mean, I just think that the talent gets better, gets more gelled together, and you're not down by four at the end of the game. You're up by four next season and you execute at the same level and you win by 11 uh, because you were plus seven in the last two minutes of the game, just like they've been consistently doing. Mm -hmm. So you win by that double digit margin versus now this season, you're winning on a last second jumper. So I don't think there's an easy answer to how do you avoid them? I think that Jerry and this roster have done a great job of executing better this season. And hopefully next year with better talent that's been together or a majority of this roster has been together in the offseason, they could just beat the shit out of some teams. Because I <laughs> yeah. know I know this podcast is just ready for some fun dubs in basketball. Uh -huh. Like, I feel like yes. that has just been missing. Clark Lee gave us the gift of getting that back a little bit this year in football. I think a lot of Vanderbilt fans forgot what it was like to beat the shit out of a lesser opponent like they did Hawaii <laughs> to open up that yep. seat. That was, you want to talk about something that was like exultation. That was just, I mean, it was like a religious. Demons experience. were exercised. Oh, watch it. That <laughs> You felt it on that Vanderbilt sideline during the Hawaii yep. game. And every Vanderbilt fan felt it. I that hope was a spiritual that, experience. And it I'm was. relating that back to basketball is I hope next season can be that for this Vanderbilt team. I hope mm. that next year we are sitting here going into the NCAA tournament discussing what seed we think Vanderbilt is going to be getting, not whether or not this team makes the tournament. I think that will be a religious experience for Vanderbilt basketball fans is you're discussing whether this team should be a six Seven or an eight. Or an eight. Yeah. 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 Versus you're saying, are they going to make the first four? That would be such such a a stepping that'll, that'll, stone that'll be weird. Jerry to get this program yeah. back to where it was, and I don't even know how I'd feel about it. I've kind of forgotten <laughs> what that feels like because even late in the Stallings era, I mean, they were sneaking in uh, mm -hmm. in the tournament. So yeah, and there's a lot of pressure, and and I hate to start saying that now while this season's still going on, but there is a lot of pressure on next season with this roster and with Stack going into year five. Yeah. I think too, I think with the close games, um, maybe to put a positive spin on it, um, not even looking towards next year, and and this might carry over to next year, because I think you're gonna I don't uh, there are gonna be some transfers. I don't I'm not even gonna say that's on Jerry or the coaching staff. That's just that's just the way college athletics is now. Kids are gonna transfer. It sucks, it is what it is, you know, just let the rough end drag. But I think as right now, I think this team sort of, and I think basketball more than, and we've talked about this, basketball more than any other sport is such a momentum sport. And this team just sort of has that juice right now to where if they do find themselves down or they do find themselves in a close ball game, they've got those games that they can look back on. They're like, 
it's you don't really you don't really stress it as much. You're like, oh, we've been here, we've done that before, and we've done it against really good teams. They've done it against a Tennessee. They've done it against a Kentucky. They've done it against uh, X, Y, and Z. So to put a positive spin on it for this season and what they have coming in Memorial Gym on Wednesday. I think that's something that can sort of comfort this team that if they do find themselves in a sticky situation, they're like, okay, we've done it. We've done it 10 times so far. And then going into next season, if let's say they find themselves against uh, another really good Alabama team and it's, it's your, it is coming down to the wire. A team that is practically back is like, Hey, been there, done that. You know what I mean? So it's so funny. That is exactly what, Trevor, this is exactly what you weren't even on the podcast at this point. This is exactly what me and Billy said after the NIU game uh, and Vanderbilt yep. came back in that game. And we said that is such a big stepping stone saying we've been there before. We've been down yeah. in a bad situation and we don't just have a coach telling us, hey, we we can win this. We we as a group have. Yeah, what it it's takes not just like, hey, I believe it's like it's not hey, just coach speak. Look. It's like, yeah. look, we've done this and, and we can yeah. do it again. So I love that positive spin. And also it's like, dude, good teams. Like it's just the tier of team you're playing the close games against. Like, yeah, every good team. You can look at their a good team versus a meh team this season that was like a mm-hmm. 10 seed. It's just winning the close games consistently. I mean, that yeah. is the and difference between being seeded as a three seed and being seeded as a 10 seed is the three seed won the close games and the 10 seed dropped them. And I yeah. keep pointing back to that Tennessee game at home. I mean, that was sort of the first stepping stone of this team can win a close game, not just win a close game, but beat a really good team who, oh, by the way, is in the Sweet 16 now at home, on their home floor, they can beat them. So I think it it all goes back to that Tennessee game and that shot from Tyron Lawrence. So, again, we go back to Tyron Lawrence and everything that's changed with him. I have another good comment from Jeff Stokes. He said, I'm just glad that since I had baseball tickets, I was able to watch the end of the basketball game. Kudos to Candace Lee for not making things complicated. Kudos to the entire athletic department. What a move. Trevor, you called it. I mean, I think they were listening to the episode and said, oh, we need to make- <laughs> I think they might have. We need to make a change here because they literally made that like a few hours after we released the episode. And I know they probably didn't listen to us, but I think, you know, that's that's something to look forward to with this administration because they seem yep. to be doing more of those moves, making those those smart decisions that are logical. Yeah, let's push back the, the the time of the baseball game because we've got fans that want to go to the basketball game. And, and you know, I don't think ESPN was involved in that. That was Vanderbilt administration. Tim Corbin, credit to Corbin, uh, and yeah. and even the Ole Miss head coach as well. You know, you see, you hear. Yeah, Vanderbilt shout out United. to Ole Miss. I don't screw those guys, but hey, like, thanks for like being willing to participate. Yeah, thanks for letting Vandy fans go to Memorial and then walk over to the Hawk later. But yeah, yeah. Jeff, I, that's a great comment. And Trevor, you spoke it into existence. I mean, I, it, it's hilarious. Yeah, shout out to Candace, shout out to Tommy McClellan, shout out to Chancellor Deermeyer, Corbin. I mean, I I don't imagine this was easy. Like they had to go up no. against they had to go up against the worldwide leader in sports and be like, hey, we want to, we want you to change um broadcasting. So man, shout out to those guys because I, I said this on Twitter and I saw a, a couple of people also say this too. Um, I love David Williams. I think David Williams was a great AD, I think he was screwed that he got paired up with Nick Zeppo, somebody who did not care about athletics whatsoever. I think if he had somebody like Deermeyer, 
Vanderbilt will be light years ahead of where they are now. But man, shout out to Candace Lee. Shout out to those guys for shout out to the brass for actually doing something like this and doing some fan service that I mean, it probably we was difficult. Seen, yeah. And in previous into like I think Candace gets I'm a Candace stan. I think she gets mm-hmm. a lot of unnecessary heat. Yeah. Are some things bad ideas? Yeah, it's trial and run. There's trial and error, but like let's not forget that like in our lifetime, like Vanderbilt had a chancellor that literally wanted to dismember Vanderbilt Athletics and Gordon Gee. He wanted to get rid of Vanderbilt sports. He wanted to dismember everything and just make it an academic institution. Guys, this was less than 20 years ago to where like Vanderbilt athletics was like, oh, shoot, we literally might not play sports ever again. We are not that far from like having somebody like that who was calling the shots at Vanderbilt. So it's going to it's going to take a while before you see like these big improvements. I know people are a little upset with the timeline of Vandy United. But Jesus Christ, guys! At least they're breaking ground already. You can watch. You can watch the construction cam. Like it's actually happening. I'm not able to sit in my seats at football this year because they're actually putting in real time effort. And so, man, I I love this administration. Shout out to those guys. Um, Yeah, it's been awesome. And And even something as small as this is just a huge is just a huge fan service and so this is like the exact it might thing not be we always a lot but about. i i appreciate it this is like the exact thing billy we always talked about obviously the candace story lee and getting the vandy united and actually redoing the stadium and locker rooms all that's huge stuff that seemed 10 15 years ago and especially trevor you said 20 30 years ago like a dream like that just wasn't going to happen. Pipe dream. Yeah, a, a real pipe dream. Like, yeah, Vanderbilt needs a football stadium, re- complete gutting, gutting it, redoing it, basically building a new one. And five years ago, Vanderbilt fans almost said that like laughingly, like, ha, ah, like that's <laughs> never going to happen. Yeah. And now it's ground is broken. My seats aren't there. And so, yeah, yeah. my seats are gone, guys. Shovels like in the ground. Yeah. It's yeah, awesome. But, it's the uh, David Williams. We've we've had this take. We've gone on these rants. Dog days of summer. We'll have plenty of time to go into it. David Williams was a a good man. He did. He was faced tough tough circumstances. But what Candace Story Lee has done during her short tenure as AD is is pretty incredible. And it's the little things like this that won't cost the university money. That doesn't take months of preparation. That doesn't take city approval or planning. That's a small little thing that is positive and will leave a positive impression to your diehard fans. Who to show are the, the ones fans that, that you care. Yes, that, exactly. Yeah. That that was just that was extra effort that was unnecessary on the administration's part. And they put in the extra effort because fans and diehards wanted it. And they did. Yep. It, and that's impressive to me, even though I didn't care. And Tommy McClellan <laughs> tweeted about it. He said this was a tough decision. Credit to everyone involved who made this this uh, this move possible. There were a lot yeah. of people involved in this. Uh, all it took was a call from Candace. Hey, Coach Corbin, can we move your your first pitch time back a couple hours? Hey, let's get to Coach Bianco. Let's get to Stackhouse, making sure this is okay. Let's let's let the fans know ahead of time. It, it and I, I'm not saying it was easy, but it, it took some simple moves. 
by Vanderbilt and they got it done. So it's one of those yeah. things that like fans think is just like, we just moved the first pitch and, but there's a lot more to it with, you know, coordinating all of it. Yeah, the there's a lot, yeah. but it is, but it is like, there's a lot more to it than just moving a, like a middle school or high school game, obviously, but also like really is, probably had to like figure out travel. Yeah. But also buses. once again, this is just proving what fans <clears throat> at Vanderbilt have always said. It is a little more complicated, but at the end of the day, it really is that simple. It really mm-hmm. is just have having people in place that care and are mm-hmm. listening and are in tune with the fan base. And it's like Vanderbilt fans are getting out of an abusive relationship for years. And you're seeing <laughs> just what a normal, healthy relationship is like. And it's like Candace Story Lee has done incredible, phenomenal things, but she's like ma- trying to make up for f- 50 years of just, just yeah. a, de- a decrepit a decrepit administration so she's fighting an uphill battle but damn she's battling like like, she's doing a hell of a job i've been critical of her but even like a small thing like i think it was this past football season you made a tweet about um like the parking lot or Mm -hmm. something like that literally the next day like vanderbilt administration she sends out a mass email who's like and says Hey, yeah, we hear your complaints. We're going to address this. It's it's small stuff like yep. that that it might not be small. Like there probably were like a lot of strings to pull, but like something like that can just mean like so much to a fan base who for decades has gotten the middle finger from the guys in Kirkland. And later that day, right before kickoff, I think it was that Ole Miss game, she's out on the golf co- golf cart. Like making sure parking spots are open and and everything's going well. Like she's trying and give credit yeah. to her. And a lot of things are working now because of that. Yeah. So uh, that's another conversation for uh, some of the dog days. I'm sure we'll get to that. Vandy Sports Takes asks from the huge number of transfer portal guys that have received interest from Vandy. Is there anyone particularly intriguing other than the obvious dude from Temple? And I think he's talking about Damian Dunn. Temple transfer averaged 15 points a game last couple of years, six, five guard from Kinston, North Carolina, right where Jerry Stackhouse is from. He dropped 38 points on Vandy earlier this season. He also played for Stack's AAU team. So again, I, those are all, you know, I'm throwing, you know, rumors out there, but I think that's a guy to watch. As he mentioned there, Elijah Fisher from Texas tech. He's Trey Thomas's cousin, six foot six combo guard. He'd be a great fit. Uh, another guy, Ziggy Reed. Uh, he's a transfer from Mer- Merrimack uh, College, who <laughs> who is a division Division One team now. Um, excuse me, guys. Somebody take over. You good, Billy? I don't know what's going on. But Billy's <laughs> Billy's good. coughing up a lung over here. I'm All good. Right. Billy's uh, coughing. Take... I'm burping. It's just <laughs> it's just a wild another, ride right now. Another guy, Taylon Cooper from Minnesota. So those are just a few names. I don't I don't know if you guys have any other names that have floated out there, but. Damian Dunn and Elijah Fisher are a couple guys that I would keep an eye on uh, just to answer that question. You said F- uh, Fisher, you said he's Trey, Trey Thomas's cousin, right? Yep. Yep. Yeah. So how, I mean, how, how did, how was Trey Thomas like 5'11 and then his cousin's like, like what is he like 6'4, 6'5? Yeah, he's like 6'5. Yeah. I always do like, this is a perfect time to remind people. If you saw Trey Thomas walking down downtown yes. Nashville, no one would think he's short. I just want to point that out to people. Yeah. This is what something I like to always say, like one out of every five, six episodes during basketball season, at least people don't have a concept of how tall basketball players are at the division one level or at any level, but specifically the D one level football players are huge. And when you see Mm -hmm. them, it's like, wow, basketball players are a different level of wow of how huge, because 
Trey Thomas is like 5'11". He's maybe like an inch shorter than me, half an inch. And I'm six feet tall and have never been called short. But on the court, I would look like I was five foot three. Like that's how <laughs> yeah. I would look if I was standing on Vanderbilt's court playing next to guys that are six, 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 seven. Like I'll yeah. never forget the moment like I like was up next to Brad Tinsley in person on TV. I always thought I'm like, I'm like, he's so small. small. And then literally like I go up to shake his hand and I'm like looking up at him. I'm like, oh my <laughs> God. I'm like, I'm like. He is huge. Yeah, it's like it's like seeing one of those small cornerbacks that are like six foot one eighty five, and they're like, I've been lied to my whole. He's got to get. He's got to put on some weight, and you like see them in person, and they're they look like absolute freaks. Like they're just they look like Adonises, and you're like, that's the skinny guy on the football field. Like (laughs) this is the guy who put weight on. Yeah, the real the real the real guy for me was Luke Cornett because on the court, like when you're watching on Mm -hmm. TV, it's like, yeah, he's tall. He's tall, but you like, I got to go like right behind the basket after a game and he walked, you know, near me. I'm like, oh my God. I saw Luke Cornett (laughs) and Damian Jones walking next to each other at a Vanderbilt football game and they just stuck out above everyone. It was two of them. And then the other point when I had that realization, I saw Jeff Taylor and Lance Goldburn at the Vandy Presbyterian game in 2012. And (laughs) like, you were literally like, they definitely who. (laughs) When I met Will Purdue, he was at one of the Vanderbilt football games and I shook his hand. And I can like his not read, but if, if it's an okay basketball, I can palm it. And my hand fit in his palm. Like my, like I was like a baby. <laughs> it's like a child. toddler like, hand. Yeah. I was like a toddler <laughs> putting, I was like, oh my God, like this is just a different, <laughs> this isn't even a human being. This is like a different <laughs> level of, of being. But yeah, Trey Thomas's cousin, Elijah Fisher is a guy to watch. Uh, other than that, there hasn't been a ton of buzz for any other guys. Um, let's keep it rolling. Southern Boy Sports Vanderbilt. This is a good one. With the announcement that Q that Q and Ezra are coming back along with Colin Smith and Tyron Lawrence, what are the chances of Jordan Wright returning and running it back for one more shot at the NCAA tournament for him? That's a good question. I would that, love it. I would love nothing more, but I really I don't know. I I would say it doesn't feel great right now um for, for Jordan's chances. I don't know why I'm saying that. Um, I think I feel the same way, but, and, and I point back to after the Kentucky game, like, and, and I know we look back at that. Yeah. It's an emotional moment between him and Stackhouse, but part of me was like, man, he's like ripping Jordan right now. Like he was not playing. He, he was not, you know, performing up to his capabilities and he has down the stretch here. I, I guess I might point to that, but I, I don't, I don't know. I mean, that that's, that's the question we all want to know. The only reason I'm up in the air about Jordan more than anything is the injuries is is I think he's like, they don't have to release as much information as they do in Mm -hmm. pro sports about college athletes and especially basketball. You're just kind of going off what the head coach says. uh, Especially Vanderbilt university and every sport. And what you observe on the court during the games, but clearly he's got something going on with his lower back. And like, that is not, that's something that can like wear on you because it's not really something that gets better. It's something that you just maintain the rest of your athletic and he's career. an older guy yeah. yeah and so for him i think the decision might be like he's probably not an nba guy seems very smart uh they talked about talk about it might be a health, every yeah. every single broadcast they like to bring up that he plans on being he wants to be a general manager in pro sports and he did an internship with the nashville motor speedway or whatever this yeah. summer to learn about sports management it's what the espn puts in front of every commentator but he seems like a smart guy uh and he's got like plans that aren't playing in the NBA afterwards. 
And he's probably, I think he has an actual decision. That's not just like, do I want to play basketball or not? He's got the decision of like, do I want to put myself through 100% I'm going to be injured at some point Mm -hmm. this upcoming season? Do I want to take that risk or just call it a career and open up that spot for somebody younger? So I'm, I'm like up in the air, man. I'm a coin flip on Jordan. I think I'm positive. I think I'm leaning towards him returning if he hasn't made an announcement yet. I think if he was leaving, he would have said something. I could be Boy, right, but... if he announces that, what a breath of fresh air that'll be. I think a lot of Vandy fans I would be love relieved. for him to come back, man. That that's we talk about Tyron and Ezra coming back and, and what a lethal duo that would be. But you throw Jordan in the mix there. Whew. I mean, well, that's too, a... like what a great just ambassador for Vanderbilt basketball. Like, I mean, dude's been put through the ringer his career yeah. at Vanderbilt. Like, what a and he's stuck it out and he's put his nose to the grindstone. And he's – that's, like, one thing that – that's why I, I loved watching Jeff Taylor so much is because, like, sometimes, like, his offense would would sort of sputter. But Jesus, man, he was still going to give you his all on defense. And he was going to lock up whoever you put in front of him. And there's just something about – like, there's something about a guy like that who's got that, like, old-school mentality. He's like, put me on whoever, and I'll lock him up. That, like, mm-hmm. just really resonates with, with me and I'm sure, like, the rest of the fan base. So – I would I would love for him to come back, man. What an what an announcement that would be. Um and, and Will, I, I think that's a good point. You know, the fact that he hasn't made an announcement yet. You know, he's waiting on this season to to finish and maybe he comes back. Uh but if he doesn't, I don't think it's the end of the world. Uh, I mean, obviously you want to see him back. Uh, but I think like you said, well, this is more of a personal decision for him, uh, you know, with with probably a lot of his health involved as well. Uh, we got one more to get to here, then we'll talk a little bit about UAB, then we'll wrap this thing up. Mark McNulty, see you guys at Martin's on Ellison Place uh, Wednesday pregame. It's it's a, it's an early tip, so I don't I don't think I'll be at Martin's uh, before the game, Trevor. I don't know about you or Will. But, I don't I don't um, I don't think my I'm I'm bringing my I'm bringing my mother. So my mother is going to come to her 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 first Vandy basketball game since I was born. So wow, and she gets she gets off work late. So we will we will be in the gym probably forty five minutes before first tip so i will i will will make my rounds if it was an eight o'clock tip time maybe it was an eight o'clock tip time dude i'm in there baby yeah Yeah. from the bottom of my heart i wish i wish but there's just no way that i'm going to make it downtown in time for a six o'clock tip and have time to do anything besides be late to the basketball game (laughs) if i decide to stop into a restaurant so i'm just trying to make it on time to the game that's my big concern Make it to tip. And I say that yep. to you, Mark, as well. I think Mark said he's going to be there at three o'clock. So, uh, <laughs> so Mark, we got work, brother. <laughs> that's that's the type of family. We I'm going to be fighting but, uh, for my life in Excel at three o'clock. I'm not going to be it. <laughs> Mark's just going to be enjoying barbecue and yeah. beer at three o'clock. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love it. Hey, man. Mark, okay. wear your socks, baby. <laughs> that's all is we there... need from you. But uh, represent in there, Mark. We uh, we love it. Uh, all right. Let's finish it off here. UAB at Memorial Gym, 6 o'clock tip-off, ESPN2. It's a whiteout inside Memorial, as you can see in Will and I's background here. So many good whiteout games. Vandy has done the whiteout against Tennessee traditionally. I think we've seen it at other games, but this should be one of the better whiteouts we've seen. Memphis. Vandy, yep. Well, that wasn't a great finish there, but. Got to finish what you started, baby. (laughs) Vandy hasn't played UAB since 1997. So this is a rare occurrence, Vandy even meeting this team. UAB beat Moorhead State by 18. They handled them on Sunday. 
Birmingham, like I said, guys, short drive up to Nashville up I-65. I would expect a large contingent of UAB Green in Nashville. UAB is coached by Andy Kennedy, former Ole Miss head coach, third year at UAB. He's done a phenomenal job. Uh, if you don't, if you guys remember, he was an SEC Network studio analyst for a couple of years before landing at UAB. Uh, they won the conference tournament last year. Uh, they lost a tough one in the final to FAU this year. They could be a tournament team. If they beat FAU, that's another bid stealer. That was a bid stealer that we were watching. We were watching that game uh, to make sure UAB loses so Vanderbilt maybe has a chance at the tournament, but turns out they weren't even close, so it didn't matter. But Andy Kennedy is the head coach. Player to watch, Jelly Walker. That's his name, Jordan Jelly Walker. He averages 23 points a game. He shoots nearly 40% from three so we've got a legitimate player coming into memorial on wednesday so guys i I mean i don't personally know a whole lot about uab i know they're well coached they've got a great point guard and jelly walker uh but for me guys it it's about the crowd and it's about this moment for vanderbilt it's the final chance to watch the team that revived memorial magic inside the historic memorial gym that there's no other place to be and if Vandy wins, they'll play the winner of Cincinnati or Utah Valley uh, next Tuesday in Las Vegas, Wednesday night, 8 o'clock Central. That's the game right after Vandy and UAB. But, guys, again, I don't know a whole lot about UAB, but for Vanderbilt, you got to come ready to play because this UAB team is going to be well coached. They're going to be ready. They're going to have a lot of their home fans behind them. Uh, so I'm excited. I mean, I, I know it's an NIT game, but it's going to be fun to see the crowd, the atmosphere one more time inside Memorial. So for me, Will, it's keep doing what you've been doing. I mean, you don't, you don't need to change anything right now if you're Vanderbilt. And I honestly, I'm going to say an X factor here is that the game's close late because Vanderbilt has won every game seemingly that's close late. So um, I think it'll be a phenomenal atmosphere. It should be a great game. And for Vanderbilt, it's almost like the hard, the tough matchup for them is mm-hmm. out of the way. With Michigan, well, I mean, we we talked about that Vanderbilt, Michigan being the two best teams, most talented teams left. Now you've got a UAB team. If you win, you play the winner of Utah Valley and Cincinnati. So I don't want to get too ahead of myself here, but this matchup is the one that they lost this time last year at Xavier. So this is it, Will. I mean, can they get it done? Can they can they get to Vegas? That's the question. Yeah, I don't care, and I'll get into this, but UAB ranks fifth, ranked 57th in the net to close out the season, I believe, and Michigan was 61st. Uh, so they're actually, this UAB team is ranked higher in the net. We've discussed all of this about the net. UAB is definitely the third best team that Vanderbilt will be facing. I don't care what the efficiency stats necessarily say. This UAB team is a Ken Palm golden child. I mean, both their offense and defense, I believe, are in like the top uh, 64 in their Mm. efficiency rankings of all the teams in the country, 43rd on offense, 64th on defense ranked in the country. Uh, You got ahead of me there a little bit. Jelly Walker uh, Mm -hmm. was the only guy that I was had even knew anything about. But the only stat that was really interesting, he ranks ninth in the country in percent of shots taken for his team. He takes 34.2% of UAB's shots. So you said it, there is one key player for UAB and Ezra Mignon is going to be guarding him. Mm, so my evaluation, my evaluation yeah. of this game, if they beat that Michigan team, that was probably not an exaggeration, the worst possible matchup for where this Vanderbilt team sits right now. I'm very confident against this UAB team that, 
doesn't have a great record against actually good opponents. They've beaten FAU, I think, uh, once this season. Mm-hmm. Uh, they've split with North Texas or went one and two. I mean, they, they've cleaned up on this record of 27 and nine against shitty Conference USA teams. They're one of those teams we'll see. They could give Vanderbilt a run, but I'm feeling confident, which probably means it's not a good sign for Vanderbilt. Trevor, are you positive? Are you negative? How are we feeling? <laughs> Oh, did did Trevor? Did you hear him? Oh, is he thinking? I did. <laughs> I, I totally See that agree. brain working. I totally agree with Will. I, the matchup of the game is is Ezra Angeli. Um, I think of Ezra, great defensive player. Now that Liam is no longer playing ball, probably you can make the argument the best defensive player on the team behind or not behind, but right there with right there with Jordan. Um, if he can lock, if he can lock down Jelly, I feel really confident. That's, yeah. Um, UAB does have some power six basketball experience. They have some transfers on their team. Javion Davis. I don't know why my Siri keeps doing this. Javion Davis. He's a forward guard previously at Alabama and Mississippi State. KJ Buffin, Ole Miss mm-hmm. guy. Andy Katz, and then Kennedy, yep. Seton Seton Hall. Who did I say? Cats, Andy Cats, Andy Cats doesn't coach bait or basketball. Sorry, <laughs> basketball guy, but doesn't coach Jordan Walker, Seton Hall, and then Harry Jemison, who is their only senior listed on the roster, coming in at six eleven. Next tallest guy is going to be a guard at six nine. So I don't know if I don't know if size is going to be that much. They're probably gonna, from what I read about them, they play relatively small, a lot of guards. Sort of like to play a little bit more fast pace. Not sure how that's going to stack up against QMB. I think if Vanderbilt can keep QMB in the game and he's going up against a lesser talented big, that might pose an advantage for Vanderbilt, be able to get some more rebounds off the defensive and offensive glass. Um, the big thing, though, is going to be Ezra versus Jelly. If if, if mm-hmm. Ezra can win that matchup, I think Vanderbilt wins because Tyron's going to get his. Um, yep. Tyron's going to get his Tyron's going to put up numbers. It is what it is. You can't stop him. You can only hope to contain him. Um, Ezra versus jelly. That's my matchup. What a matchup of names there. Ezra Mignon versus jelly Walker. <laughs> I mean, Le Mignon against PB and J man. That's <laughs> awesome, man. I, I can't wait. It, it It's fun to have a guy like a jelly Walker coming to Memorial too. I mean, you know, we, we were hyping up Brandon Miller coming to Memorial and he had, he dropped his, uh, it's always fun when, when you're facing a, a guy with that name, Jelly Walker, but also a guy that's legit. I mean, he's averaging 23 a game, 40% from three. You cannot let him get get loose uh, because if he's able to get his, then Vanderbilt, you, you've you got to match that offensively. Um, so Ezra Menion, I agree, Trev. Ezra, it, it's on you. I, I don't like saying that, but <laughs> – it's almost like that. That's the matchup to watch within the game. Gotta let the and dog that's, off the leash, that's, man. That's the individual one, Trevor. You brought it up. They do like to play faster. I always like finding the tempo stat on Ken Palm because it will always kind of tell you: Will this be a battle of how these teams want to play and and how the flow of the game both coaches want it to go? And when you see a, a matchup of this, which is the complete opposite, uh, UAB is thirty seventh in the country in average possession length on offense at 16.2 seconds per offensive possession. They're 207th in the country in defensive average possession length. Mm. Vanderbilt is 282nd in the country in offensive possession length 
and 71st in the country in defensive possession length. So Vanderbilt likes to speed up the opponent and slow it down on the offensive end. Uh, UAB is the opposite. They like to slow down the opponent a little bit and like to speed it up once they get the ball. So you have two contrasting styles, two point guards playing at very high levels, uh, and two teams coming from completely different types of conferences. You have Mm -hmm. UAB with the incredible record coming out of Conference USA, and you have Vanderbilt coming out of an SEC conference that, at least in the first couple rounds, proved out to be pretty underrated uh, overall in the NCAA tournament and NIT. So it's going to be an interesting matchup, not just with the individual guys, but just the styles of these teams Mm -hmm. are very different. And Vanderbilt jumping out early and controlling that tempo uh, is going to be a pretty big key. And Vandy's battle-tested, guys. I mean, you know, this is a game that... I don't know if I would say doesn't concern them because every every team at this point in the season, you know, you've got things to be worried about if you're if you're coach Stackhouse. But I mean, I, I don't see how they don't have full confidence in their guys get going. You're you're home again, chance to go to Vegas, everything's in front of you. There's no other option. The boats are burning right now, Trev. I mean, th- th- this team, this is it for them. I mean, this is it, and th- there's no other motivation for that. So. I'll leave you with this, Trev. What's your little message here? I know it might the volume might be down a little bit here, but what's your what's your little message here to any Vandy fan still debating whether they should head over to a memorial Wednesday night? Thirty-one years ago today, my mother and father got married. Today is my mom and dad's 31st anniversary. My 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 dad. His first date he took my mom on was a Vanderbilt basketball game. Mm. Wednesday, my mother will be in attendance at Memorial Gymnasium for her first Vanderbilt basketball game since I was born. I'll be there. My mother will be there. And, of course, my father will be there. I texted my mom today. I said, hey, mom, it's a whiteout. Don't worry. I got a white Vandy shirt for you. You ain't got to worry. We're going to be there. I will not be sitting in 2L because my mother would like to get a seat back. And so I made a compromise with her. I was like, mom, you come to the game. We'll get seat backs. We are no, we are not sitting in 2L. You can take the boy out of 2L, but you cannot take the 2L out of the boy. (laughs) We are going to be sitting in section F. For those of you who don't know, Section F is behind the UAB bench. Section F is where UAB fans will be sitting. I saw (laughs) I I saw some UAB people on uh, on Vanderbilt's Twitter asking. They're like, "Oh, do we not get an allotment?" And someone tweeted at him and said, "Hey, most time most opposing fans like to sit behind the bench in Section F. If you're coming from Birmingham." I'm going to be in section F with you. Don't show up. <laughs> I'm going to be in your seats behind your bench for 40 minutes in hell. It's not going to be you and little Timmy and your mom. I'm going to be there right beside you. And I am an absolute memorial maniac. <laughs> if you are a UAB fan and you listen to this or you see this, I'm telling you, Get a refund on your tickets. Don't come because I'm going to be sitting in your section. If you need an excuse or a reason to come to the last ball game 
at Memorial Gymnasium of the 2022-2023 season, then I don't know what to tell you. This is the team, as Billy said, that has brought back Memorial Magic. We've been banging our heads on the table like Memorial Magic is dead, but we have seen it time and time again, and you have one more opportunity to experience Memorial Magic in the flesh. And by God, if my mother can come to her first Vanderbilt basketball game in 26 years, then there is no excuse that anybody who is listening to this should not be there. Will Shibig on Twitter in our spaces said that he had $100 in his bank account, but he was going <laughs> to go to a Vanderbilt basketball game. You have no excuse. Get your tickets. Get to Memorial. Get loud. Get crazy. This is the last one of the season we have. All roads lead to Vegas, baby. Those poor, poor UAB fans. Oh, my. Hey. Little little do they know the amount of violence <laughs> that will be caused. Guys, if you were a Blazer, I'm not going to sit down. If you tell me to sit down, I'll look at you in your face and say no. <laughs> do not come to the ball game. Do not sit in F. I will be behind your bench giving them hell for 40 minutes. When they trot off to their locker room, I strategically bought my seats to where I can lean over the rail and yell at your players as they go to the locker room and tell them how much they suck and tell them how Ezra Filet Mignon is absolutely killing Jelly Walker. <laughs> Do not come to Memorial. Cancel your tickets. Stay in Birmingham. The state of Alabama sucks. You're going to do nothing for the local economy. Don't show up. It's already a ball game. Vandy wins. Stay home. All roads lead to Vegas. Uh, I I was going to tell a story after this about sitting in that same section behind the opponent's bench and having Mississippi Valley uh, Delta or State Delta Devils head coach at the time, (laughs) former NBA player Lindsey Hunter, uh, having a verbal altercation during the game with Lindsey Hunter from Section F and his assistant <laughs> having to pull him away, which is why I was going to say my dad will no longer sit in Section F with me because I actually had the opponent's head coach arguing. Section with me F is the game. forbidden. Their starting point guard from that game, by the way, still follows me. Where I got him was I was yelling about the play he was drawing up, and his players were agreeing with me and laughing behind him. And I've never seen a coach <laughs> actively like lose control of his team because of me granted there will hopefully be a few more people so maybe the coach won't be able to hear you uh for uab <laughs> no. but trevor that he's is the expectation that's the expectation why i tell that story is i have the expectation of looking at uab's bench and seeing their head coach being just absolutely berated by a beautiful mustachioed man and him <laughs> breaking i want you to break him trevor and if there's look at the uab bench and if look was, nine rows up, and you're going to see me, and I'm going to be piss and vinegar. This Andy Andy Kennedy, you're in hell, baby. Get right where, with God because you're not right with me. Hey, where you get where you get him, Trevor? As as I we used to do this at Tennessee Tech all the time because there weren't a lot of crowds. You get the coach by early on getting the end of the bench players laughing at the comments you're making. So if you are funny at the beginning, you get the end of the bench guys and the and the coach will like kind of notice it, but will ignore it. And that's when you slowly break him throughout the game. So Trevor, 
you're the guy, you're the man, you're the perfect man for this job, and I know you can do it. This game is on your shoulders, Trevor. <laughs> it's this all game, on you, Trevor. It's it, not it's on Ezra, all, it's on you. It's all Rest on in piss, you. UAB, y'all are dead. <laughs> y'all are dead. And then you think you're going to get safe when you go to the opposite end of the court. Little do you know, a bunch of goons in 2L will be waiting for you, bleeding out of their eyes, bloodlust, waiting to be quenched. You're dead. You're dead. You go to them, you think, oh, my God, we can get away from 2L, and you come right back to me, baby. You come right back to me. UAB, if you're any any of you guys are listening, I I pray for you guys uh, heading up to Nashville. That'll do it for Trevor Hoolan and Will Byram. We'll see you all at Memorial Wednesday night. Vanderbilt and UAB, 6 o'clock tip-off. Stay tuned. You've been listening to another episode of The Door Report, powered by Alaco Fine Wood Floors.